Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that will lead them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Today, super excited for our guest. We have Mr. Andrew Dunn. Andrew is a partner at the VAC Development and a junior partner at WG Group. VAC is an agnostic asset acquisition company with multiple exit strategies. He's been in the real estate industry for five years, operating in the private family office sector, where he oversaw acquisitions, underwriting, property management, leasing, financing, and dispositions. Guys, I'm super pumped for today's episode. It's going to be a real estate masterclass. Andrew, welcome to the show, man. Hey, dude. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, bro. It's uh, it's nice to meet you in person. It really is. We uh, we chatted a little bit on uh, on the gram and was introduced by a mutual friend. So uh, super excited to hop right into it. Give, uh, give the viewers a little background about who you are, what you're about, and, and what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I think you kind of summarized it in that little intro there, but um, we're based in Las Vegas. I operate in Vegas, Reno, Phoenix, Southern California, Hawaii, um, have dabbled in some stuff over in Tampa and Miami with our sister office, got brought up uh, right out of college into a private family office operation, which is a little bit unique. Uh, right on the buyer side and operational side. Most people to get into commercial real estate take the either the capital markets, you know, sourcing debt and equity, uh, the property management or the brokerage sector. So I was very fortunate in how I got involved in that role. And, you know, I've scaled with a couple wealthy individuals to teach me the ins and outs of the real estate business. And, uh, dude, really, I'm just a deal junkie chasing deals and trying to find opportunities where other people can't find them and presenting them to the people that I work with and for and going and raising money and um, pitching in the opportunities to banks. That's awesome. Deals done. That's awesome, man. I love uh, deal junkie because I feel like, especially in today's age with social media, if you're somewhat entrepreneurial, like everyone knows you need to get into real estate. You yeah. Know? Real estate's made the most millionaires, you know, ever and real estate this, real estate that. And there's so many different avenues. When it comes to finding deals, though, because at least for me, I've dabbled in real estate. You know, like we talked about, I have a handful of, you know, residential properties, mm-hmm. a couple syndications. I'm, I'm nowhere near an expert by any means. It's more of a passive um, pursuit for me. But I feel like at least in my experience and the people that I talk to, the hardest part is finding deals. Yeah. Was that a skill set that coming straight into it that you really focused on and that were mentored in? Or was that something that took a lot of time to develop? And if so, what are some tips you can give when it comes to finding deals in real estate? Yeah, it definitely took a lot of time to develop. And I think commercial real estate is not where I'd start for most people because there's so many different intricacies and specifications and value propositions that it offers. And there's so many different market segments. I always kind of recommend to people, you know, starting kind of where you did in the residential sector, because it's easy to understand values and understand the profit potential and just, you know, wealth creation opportunity in a home because there's so many of them. And if you're like in an urban area or a suburban market like we are here in Las Vegas, it's easy to understand the value of a home. But dealing with like, hey, what's credit? Like how important is location? Um, What type of asset class am I working with? What challenges am I going to go into? 
uh, it's really hard for somebody who's never worked in real estate to get that. So for me, I actually also cut my teeth in flipping homes and sourcing out those acquisitions, you know, hopping in on Facebook groups, like going door knocking, cold calling, talking to title reps, talking to other wholesalers and real estate investors and expanding my network that way while also focusing because I was, was, and am with that family office and watching what they did in commercial real estate and understanding that, but it took a lot of reading, um, a lot of failure, a lot of phone calls and a lot of faith by the people that I work for that believed in me to be successful. So it's a very patient ga uh, game for most that a lot of people just aren't ready for. Mm. What initially attracted you to the real estate space? Was it just you had the opportunity to be mentored by these high level caliber people at a young age and you're like, oh, well, I'll just do what they do. Or was it something about real estate that initially attracted you to the industry? Definitely the former versus the latter. Mm. Um, I think a couple of things I originally wanted to do investment banking. I always had a love for finance and business since a year early and younger age. I knew you were Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Sure. Maybe, maybe you never know deep down in the family association. Changed. Yeah. Exactly. Jewish by association. But I think that's what, what really fascinated me because I saw these guys that I work for, uh, they live half their time in Hawaii and then their other half the time here. And they're able to do this business theoretically from everywhere. Yeah. You have to show up for meetings and plan things out, but you can really do it just from your phone and an email. And that's what really fascinated with me. And then also, uh, you know, we were in 2023, I got in in 2018, but I saw, you know, with crypto and technology and the rise of artificial intelligence, I was like, what's the longest like reigning job and sector that is going to be the hardest to be replaced by artificial intelligence, right? And the two things that I've come to the conclusion are farming and uh, real estate mm. and both actually kind of go hand in hand with one another as well. Mm. That's so interesting because similar to me, when I first got introduced to entrepreneurship, I remember listening to an audio that basically said, I don't remember the exact percentage, but 50, 60, 70% of the jobs five, six, seven years ago are going to be obsolete with the evolution of technology and artificial intelligence. So similar to you, I was like, man, I need to go find a space, a sector, a skill set, something where I can become more valuable and not easily replaced by technology. And yeah. I feel like most people out there, it just doesn't click for them where in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the way that things are going, their skill set, their job, their livelihood, if it's not extremely valuable and if you're not easily, if you're not not easily replaced, it's going to be very difficult to earn a living and especially thrive in the next 5 to 10 years of the way technology is going. No, I completely agree with that. And my father uh, always told me, if you can sell, you'll always find a job. So I think sales is that invaluable skill set that's not just used for commissions, but used in so many different sub like assets and facets of your life that can just permeate through everything to help you be successful, whether it's selling yourself to a girl to get on a date and hopefully ultimately be your wife and your relationships, you know, raising money and selling yourself as an entrepreneur and your ideas. Artificial intelligence isn't going to change that because that is something where you always need that human connection and dependency on. From that pitch. Couldn't agree more, man. Yeah. Have you always been very entrepreneurial? Because obviously we just met, but just the way you carry yourself, the way that you speak, your conviction, your composure, you're younger than I am, you're 27, you seem a lot older. Where did that come from? Was that something that was instilled from an early age or is that just something that you saw and wanted to model after? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, my father was an entrepreneur 
Uh, he was a serial entrepreneur and growing up with a person like that, you have a lot of ups and downs, you know, sometimes there was a lot of money in the bank with my dad and other times there was not. So he had to be very creative in how he just operated in his life. But, you know, my dad operated horse like racetracks, casinos, software companies, beverage companies, like MLM companies, like multi-level marketing. And I saw how my dad like raised money and like just the grit it took for him to get to where he was. And it always inspired me. And I always loved business from an early age. I always knew I wanted to be in business. I was like, I want to be a CEO. Like when I was like six or eight years old, I was like, I want to do this. What do you want to be when you grow yeah, up? I want to be CEO. when I grew up. I want to do this. Like, you know, I didn't know it was going to be real estate for me, but I, I looked up to my dad a lot in that regard and his professionalism, you know, dressing up, creating pitching ideas and, you know, not just going in and collecting a paycheck, but actually creating something with your life. So yeah, it's been a lifelong journey for sure. That's doubt, man. So what initially attracted you to commercial instead of residential? I know that you had mentors in commercial. Um, I feel like, like you said, for people starting off, residential is probably a better way to really get started and and kind of get your feet wet. But what are some of the differences between commercial and residential that you see? And how can younger entrepreneurs, people that maybe are making good money, take advantage of one or the other? Yeah, I think with commercial real estate and what attracted me is there's less people. You couldn't replicate it as easily as you could in residential real estate. I mean, there's no HDTV show for commercial real estate mm. as I know of yet. And, you know, I no offense to all the flippers and wholesalers out there, but, you know, a lot of people can do drywall teardowns and kind of basic restructuring and basic cosmetic renovations. I knew that I didn't want to be in an ultra competitive space. I wanted to be in a competitive space, but... I wanted to separate myself from the pack the best way I could. And that's with my understanding of a capital stack and putting, you know, all the different components of money together in a business plan and pitching that to, you know, banks and institutions. And I think to me, that side of things and the creativeness of doing a deal really intrigued me about the opportunity. And I also, the scalability right? Like I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket with a large spec home or a large like luxury home renovation, but I could do that a lot easier and scale and raise money a lot quicker, faster, and more sophisticated with commercial real estate because, you know, I can find a Starbucks, I could find a piece of land. Um, I know Starbucks wants to be there and Starbucks can sign a lease with me. I can take that lease, go to a bank, go to people like yourself, like you know what Starbucks is, you know, they got 18,000 stores yeah. across the world. Like it's pretty a secure place to place your money and I'll give you a, a pretty good return and you'll get your money back in, you know, 18 to 24 months from the time you give it to me. And that's considered triple net. Yeah. That is a triple net standalone, uh, retail asset. And, you know, you just, you're selling the pad. Starbucks pays the taxes, insurance, um, all the maintenance and, um, their rent. So, for me, I like those, but that's what intrigued me was their, the high barrier entry and just the creativeness that you could have with it. Opportunities and possibilities are theoretically endless mm. in the way you can structure and, and make money. I love that headspace, man. Choosing opportunities, choosing industries, choosing, choosing certain sectors based on where eyeballs are and how competitive the space is. I feel like in today's age with social media and everything that's going on, people just typically choose what everyone else is doing. The Jones effect is really um, something that's real because you don't want to feel like you're missing out. You know, same thing with crypto and everything going on. But in reality, to your point, 
where real wealth is made is looking at what everyone else is doing and, and trying to do the opposite or trying to find a less crowded space because obviously there's less competition and, uh, you know, just a better chance for you to make it to the top and it's a little less crowded up there. Yeah. And I also think with commercial real estate, what I notice it's a lot of old money and it's a lot of older people. And so for me as a younger entrepreneur and a younger investor and person, you see the cycle happen in certain markets. So it's like if people are 60 and 70, like how much longer can they operate? How much harder can they work than me? They have the reputation and established, you know, wealth base, but you know, I can go to those people and be like, Hey dude, let me be your grunt. Like, let me be your workhorse. Like give me money. I, I have this investment thesis. They understand what's going on because at one point in time they were me. And they show you that love if you show that grit, that thought process in your business plan. And that's how people give you money. Back to you sales, know. right? Oh, 100% back to sales. You know, I'm, I'm trying to convince you to give me money. And it's not small chunks of change. Like, you know, sometimes it's a couple hundred thousand or 50,000. Sometimes it's a few million or 10 million or something like that. So it's, and that's how even ironic in itself is that the smaller chunks of money are harder to raise than the larger chunks of money. Because of the clientele you're going after. Yes. And it, it's just in the eyeballs it attracts, right? You know, like a Blackstone. Like it's easier to chase a Blackstone for equity into your deal than it is like a hundred Stevens. Yeah. You know? Totally. No, it makes sense. So what, Andrew, what does your day-to-day -day really look like? Because when I think of commercial real estate, it's such a vast industry. There's so many different components from the investing side to the operating side to the type of asset class that you can go after multifamily retail office building industrial so if i'm someone looking to get into commercial which i am you know mm -hmm. the typical grant cardone mainstream media is multifamily 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 yeah. but i know there's so much more that goes into it so what's the day-to-day -day look like for you and what's some tips some tricks that you could give to people that want to enter that space of commercial read Read. Yeah, I'm telling you what, man, you you read every book, you read articles, you stay up on uh, current events, you stay up on market information because exactly what you're saying with Grant Cardone and multifamily. Well, what provides value? Why does somebody buy a commercial real estate asset? It's because they can predict the net operating income. They can predict the revenue growth. They can predict expenses. They can predict, you know, that tenants are always going to want to occupy that space. You know, so many people in, you know, just normal living can only afford so much for rent. And I think multifamily is like really hitting that ceiling or that wall because of interest rates. And it's really compressing people's balance sheets mm -hmm. and it's making it a harder thing. And also everybody was chasing multifamily because it's, you know, the next evolution of residential real estate, right? Like yep. you do homes. Okay. Then you do a fourplex, then a 10 unit, then a 40, then a hundred, then so on and so forth. It's and playbook, dude, it's the playbook. Like it's, it's very easy to take an, an educated, normal individual uh, with, you know, not a lot of real estate experience and help them scale and understand how multifamily works. And that's why people want to invest in it because it's easy for them to understand and two for them to go and source and acquire deals. So I, I think the tips that I have is always read. Like I think, you know, 30 to 40% of my day is easily spent on reading. Um, the other is looking at deals on the market and, and reading what specifically like reading yeah. what's going on in a market, reading what's going on in the economy, interest yeah. rates, et cetera, just 
yeah, every, everything like, dude, listen, listen to, you know, investing podcasts and you're like, really trying to find, you know, podcasts like yours where you ask the deep questions and, you know, really dive into how somebody analyzes a deal, like really try to understand and analyze a deal yourself. Like think, like think about being a bank, like going to work and putting a deal together yourself. You may not have a hundred million dollars to do a deal, but why would somebody try to do that deal? you know, and, you know, talk to people, talk to real estate brokers, talk to bankers, talk, go to professional networking events, you know, in your local market, like where there's other commercial real estate professionals and understand what they're talking about. And you just have to talk to people. So I think it's a lot of my days spent talking to people. Um, it's spent reading, it's spent working on the deals that I have and it's, you know, spent on underwriting models because that's what I do. And that's kind of how I got brought up and found my value to my firm. And then it found acquiring and structuring deals. But though that's really kind of where I'm enjoying my days. And then also just sometimes traveling around to go see these different projects and opportunities. You know, sometimes I'll do like a week to a two week road trip, like chasing around, driving around, trying to look for things and just gathering market data. You know, I think a lot of people are so keen on looking at reports, but they don't even just look in their own backyard on what they're saying, seeing. Right. Like going in like in 2008, you go to the Aria and the doorman has five condos. Well, how the heck is that possible? That doesn't make sense. You know, it's going and sitting outside of a mall. Are people going mm -hmm. into the mall, sitting outside of an office building? Are people going into the office building? Like, well, you know, are the trucks leaving and coming to and from a warehouse? Like seeing where people are spending their time and why they're spending their time there. And so it's also collecting market data in traditional and non-traditional formats. Mm, I love that, man. To piggyback off what you said, our own backyard. What's your thoughts of Vegas? I know you're you're from Orange County. You moved here five years ago. You're obviously very vested in the city, in the space, understanding what's going on. You know, I feel like the cool thing about what you do is part of your job is understanding what is going on in a specific area, specific city, specific space. So in terms of Vegas, what's your thoughts, um, macro and micro, and where do you think things are going? Oh man, uh, I don't know if we have enough time to talk about everything, but I'm going to give you my Open best. Right? Yeah, bit, so yeah. Um, I can go in so many different places, but let's start with just population growth and why we're having population growth. Uh, we're no income state. We're no state income tax state. And I think that's a big attractive, you know, value proposition to people coming out of California, where with federal, state, municipal, municipal taxes, and just every other tax out there, you know, you're losing 50% of your income out there. So we're allowing you to keep a majority of that income and dropping you down to a 30% tax um, in Vegas. Um, I love the really belly to belly community that we have out here. Um, you know, just connecting with people. It's very easy. You yes. know, you're, it's like, you can talk to the governor, you can talk to senators, you can talk to politicians, you can talk to, you know, planners and brokers and operators and just be a young person with minimal experience and really dive in and be a part of the community and a placeholder in that community very quickly. So, sorry to cut you off. Why do, why do you think that is? Because I agree with you, especially moving away and then having that retrospection and then coming back i agree i feel like vegas is a big city but it's not at the same time it feels like the six degrees of separation yep. is really only three out here from an outside looking in why do you think that is i think it's we're very young you know when you look at it you know vegas was founded in 1905 but we really didn't get our f first big pop until the 1950s when the casinos really hit 
after the Hoover Dam operation, right? And so you get places like Los Angeles and other very urban markets, like even on the East Coast that are, you know, as old as the mid 1700s or, you know, mid 1800s. Like we're a very young city. And I always tell people Las Vegas is like L.A. 20 to 30 years ago. And we're really well geographically positioned. Um, the strip offers you a lot of like amenities and opportunities like we were discussing with conventions, education, restaurants, um, you know, entertainment. It's a very exciting city to be a part of. I only think there is one Las Vegas in the world. And, you know, I think also on top of that, it's a very pro-business community. And it's also very small in population. Los Angeles, you know, I believe it's like a county of 10 million people. Massive. And, you know, California is a state of 50 million well, Las Vegas is barely too many, two million people, mm -hmm. and we have a state of three million people, and the highest other populated city is Reno. So a majority of Nevada is in Las Vegas. So Las Vegas is the hub for you know state regulation. It's a leading driver for state you know prosperity, and I think it's just also it's a great logistically positioned city, and that's why you've seen an industrial boom over the last several years here, um, you know, as California and coastal California is built out, uh, they, they're landlocked. Theoretically, they don't have enough land to continue to expand their warehouses and we capture that overflow. So we're becoming a more diversified economy, you know, pre global financial crisis, we were very strip dependent and construction dependent. And when that whole situation went down, construction stopped and Nobody came to the strip and it was, we were really hard hit. And now we're diversified, you know, we're getting more white collar service and uh, employment opportunities. And I think that's helping our growth. And that's why I'm a lot more bullish on it. And also we have dirt. I like that. I like, we have dirt yes. to be able to build on and always bring new things, new concepts to the table. You know, we're not competing in a highly regulated environmental sector uh, where it takes, you know, three years to build a Starbucks like it does in California. I can get that sucker up in six months to 12 months and approve planning, uh, you know, where it takes me three to five times as long in the state next door. Mm. I love it, bro. I love it. I'm bullish as well. Um, obviously, I'm not as uh, in the mud as you are when it comes to this, but just seeing being born here and seeing the growth and seeing everything going on and seeing all the sports teams and everything that this city is attracting and not living here for a little bit and seeing the value that it really has to give uh, definitely has me pumped for the future for sure. Oh, it totally does. I'm super excited. You know, I'm excited to see the city go vertical more than anything. Yes, let's go. So if I'm an investor, or if I'm just a young, hungry, young entrepreneur trying to create wealth in real estate, if you can dumb it down to a kindergarten level, what is the playbook? Whether I am, you know, someone who's trying to be an active investor or someone just being a passive investor. I think if you, the first thing I'd start is educate yourself or find somebody that you trust who is educated to take care of your money. The, the biggest thing I've learned for myself even is you got to surround yourself with people that are better than you, have more money than you, have more experience than you, and be humbled by your lack of knowledge and your lack of wealth, okay? And first off, I would then also invest in myself. I'm not a big proponent, you know, of like throw my money in an IRA, you know, or like an index account because I would rather take that 500 or $1,000 a month or whatever that number is and invest it in education mm. and take that education seriously to provide value 
uh, to bigger people to penetrate that market so you can speak in conversations like the one we're having, you know, educatedly. So like I, you can hold a conversation, you can provide value to that person and stay on top of your local market. You need to know your market, you know, whether it's a sub market of Las Vegas, like the Southwest, you know, or a zip code, like be that local expert that people can come to. And it's not going to happen overnight. It'll be a three to six month or a year process. We'll get over it. Be patient. Real estate is not a get rich quick scheme. You know, it takes years to build wealth. Yep. You know, that's why you bought your your residential properties. You, you don't expect to be a gazillionaire overnight from buying a couple homes. Like, no, you're in it and you bought what I'd expect a 30 year mortgage. Yep. You know, you either hold it forever and you either refinance out and take money out and always keep debt on, or you'll just continue to use that cash flow to pay down the debt, but it's a long-term game. So you have to practice patience. You have to really be education, like educated on your market, know your backyard so that when you ask me something about Las Vegas and it's a about retail or it's about, you know, industrial or office or, or homes. I know in that zip code or in that submarket what that specific space use goes for in rent, you know, what it costs to build that, what land cost, you know, all these different things that when somebody asks you, you're a market expert and they trust you with their money, you know? So if you want to be an active investor, know everything you can. There's not enough. And as soon as you stop reading and as soon as you stop educating yourself, that's when you're screwed. Yep. That's really when you hit yourself in a bad position. Always stay hungry. Always be scared to motivate you to continue to educate yourself. Now, if you're passive and you just want to invest your money, I don't recommend operating a building. I, I don't. It is work. Yeah, as much as people think commercial real estate and just real estate in general is passive, I mean, you've probably seen this, you know, with some of the residential properties. You're like, okay, I, I thought I was just supposed to buy this thing, place a tenant in it, and collect my rent. Yeah. You know, some of us have property managers, but at the end of the day, even with the property manager, you're still getting phone calls. Totally. So this idea of passive investment, the only thing that's passive is putting your money into an index fund yeah. and just not even looking at it, right? So real estate is not a truly passive investment opportunity. It is close to it, but there's still, you know, operational risk. There's still tasks you have to do on the day-to-day -day or month-to-month -month or quarterly basis that you have to stay on top of. And you have to be aware of market, changing market segments. Like three years ago, did you think if you were an office owner, you were going to have major vacancy and you were going to be the most risk-highlighted asset class in the the world no you know covid hits it's a black swan event and it completely changes your perspective you know 10 20 years ago that was malls and retail now retail and suburban growth markets is a really hot and attractive asset class to people mm. so again it goes back to educating being aware of what's going on in your market so that you can invest in those things properly and choose the right operators that you want to partner with and invest with i think i would always recommend somebody starting out um, if you have a couple bucks, you know, go go invest it with somebody and just say, hey, dude, I just want to learn. I'm not going to try to do anything. I, I just want to learn. I want to give you my money and I want to see how it works. And, and dude, just be a sponge. Work for somebody for free. You know, work for somebody for cheap. Like you're, you're nobody. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, you know, to your point, it's like you should be seeking the education when you're first getting going. Like 
I remember when I first started, I just hit up my mentor and I was like, Hey, I just want to, I just want to come work. I just want to come work. You know, like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just want, I don't care, you know, how much money I'm going to make. I just want to learn because you have the results I want. So I'm willing to sacrifice X amount of time because I know I'm going to learn something from that experience. Now, if I'm someone maybe who has some liquidity, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars looking to get into commercial, um, but want to be on the passive end more for myself. Do I, do I come to someone like you, Andrew? Do I come to a, uh, do I come to a, a firm? Like, what does that process look like? Like I mentioned, yeah. you know, I feel like for syndication, that's the closest thing in yeah. my mind to like a truly passive investment. But at the same time, you really are kind of just shuffled with hundreds of other people and you don't really have that intimacy with the deal and you don't get that educational aspect. So are you guys kind of like an alternative to that where it's a little bit more hands-on or what does that all look like? Yeah, so so when we go and syndicate and we go and raise money, we do it by opportunity basis, meaning I have a deal, I'm raising money for it, I have X amount of days to close the deal. I this is the minimum investment. You know, I usually like, you know, minimum of fifty grand or minimum of a hundred grand. It's just easier. And what we do is we, you know, provide you depending if it's a development deal versus, you know, something that's already a value add deal or a stabilized deal is how often I'm providing you updates and distributions, right? Development, you're not going to get your first check for probably two years. Um, you know, value add could be several months or a year and, you know, stabilize. I could probably get you a check like within the first month. And so for us, what we do is we provide operating reports, Hey, this is what's going on. This is our business plan. This is what we're doing. Here's my number. You can call me. You know, there has been times where, you know, people will give you money and they blow up your phone every day. And I'm like, okay, dude, it is still real estate. Like stuff does not happen overnight. I am not a stock trader. I am not a broker. You know, signing a lease and negotiating a lease with a multinational corporation. I'm just using Starbucks because it's most well known. It, it takes months. You know, there's like, hey, we like the site. Here's our LOI, our letter of intent. You know, okay, cool. You negotiate that letter of intent for a few weeks or a month. Then you go to lease. Then you negotiate that lease for a few weeks or a month. And then you do that. And then you got to build the thing. And then you got to do this and that. And so it takes time. But where I am is shoot me, you know, DMs on Instagram, you know, TikTok. You have my email. I got a newsletter. Um, you know, I got my Twitter. Like, comment, ask me questions because I love talking to people and I love talking about real estate. It's truly a passion of mine. It's an obsession. I, I don't know really the difference between obsession and passion. Yeah. Same thing. Um, but that's really where I'm at. So I think you could call us maybe a hybrid um, because I like to have a personal relationship with my investors. And I really, when an investor comes through our pipeline, um, I like to have a phone call with them you know, or hop on a zoom and like see them face to face. And if they ever come out to Vegas, I'll go show them the properties or we'll go grab coffee or something. Um, because you know, deals don't always go right. That's what I also want to say. Deals aren't always like, Hey, like this is my business plan, but this might not be how it goes down because of a black swan event. Again, I'll just go back to office or go to multifamily. Like, dude, Nobody thought two years ago multifamily was going to correct by 20 to 30% and you were taking on floating rate debt and you had these great returns because it was a game of musical chairs of value add and turning units and bumping rents. But like I said earlier, rents can only go so high so fast, you know, where wages and, you know, pros economic prosperity have to catch up to hit that valuation and you can get caught left with the bag. So there's a lot of multifamily guys or office guys that are going to be struggling and what they 
showed and proposed you in their underwriting, they're going to have to justify why they aren't going to be able to give you those returns or why they're going to delay you in getting your money back or just dropping your money and not getting it back to you at all. Yeah. No, it's a real thing. You know, I, like I said, I'm a part of a few syndications and we're, we're starting to see that right now, delayed distributions and, and so on. And, you know, that's just, that's just the game of investing. And when it comes to investing for, for everyone listening, you know, for people who are newbie or just getting started or, you know, immediate to, um, you know, experienced. So when it comes to investing, obviously the game is how do I get the highest percentage on my money with the least amount of risk and the least amount of energy expended, right? So you have obviously the stock market, you have bonds, you have all these things out there that you can choose on where to park your money. And, you know, we could talk about investment theses. Obviously, you're in the, the field of real estate. So I imagine you're pretty heavily invested into real estate. But for a lot of people, some people have diversification, you know, different, different avenues, so on and so forth. So what could people expect from a you know, multifamily property or some type of commercial property as a passive investor when it comes to comparing that against some other things that may be a little bit more hands-off or a little bit more safe in today's economy? Yeah, I think the other thing that I always, that people always forget about real estate is the tax benefit that it offers you. It's not just dollars and cash flow and returns. It's also that depreciation you get you know, and that tax deferral that you get from, you know, that 1031 that makes it a lot easier in real estate. So I always like to highlight that, um, you know, what, what are we always competing against? S&P 500, you know, that 8% annual compound over how many decades of operating um, for real estate, it's goes back to credit and risk tolerance, right? Like if I am buying a McDonald's, that's pretty credible. Like McDonald's, there can probably be a nuclear war and you're going to see McDonald's standing out in the middle of nowhere somehow, right? Because it's McDonald's. Yeah. And so, you know, your returns are probably going to be in the single digit range. You know, if you're buying it with straight cash um, and maybe high single digits or low double digits, if you're using leverage and depending on what your debt cost is and your debt services. Um, the risk profile that I go down right now industrial to me is the lowest risk um you know infill market you know small bay flex industrial lowest risk um highest opportunity for me that's the thing i'm chasing and most bullish on uh next i would say is like i i'd still say certain multifamily products you know like well-positioned multifamily and retail i think i bump in there it's just like the sub-asset class of retail and then you know i'd throw hotels beneath that um, and then I'd throw uh, office at the bottom of the list right now. But with office, if you buy it right and you make the case argument and the business plan investor pitch, you'll get the highest yields in office. Yeah. But you're going to have a lot of risk. Like, but I think, you know, with office where you're going to see it in the next two, three, four years with all this debt maturing and piece, uh, operators not being able to refin refin refinance, wow, is you're going to see high 20s in return profiles if your business plans play out, like even maybe 30% annualized returns. You're talking and, crypto games. Oh, you're talking crypto. <laughs> and oh gosh, that's the worst. Is those crypto guys, like dude, like they were getting these 10Xs like right. with no effort and like they, it's harder for people like me. Which isn't real, as me. we've seen. Oh, as we've seen, it's like one out of a thousand. Like uh, you know, where's everybody's money now, right? So, you know, I think for me, the returns that we offer our investors traditionally if it's a development deal, I'm getting you high teens. So like 18 to 20% is where I'm targeting you after my fees. So like, you know, the whole overall deal on a gross would return 
23 to 25%. I charge fees, you know, for operating, developing, managing, whatever, and finding and sourcing the deal. Uh, your net after fee return is going to be 17 to 20% a year, um, not including the tax benefits, right? Then you get like depreciation on it, depreciation on those uh, buildings as well. That can really provide value to an investor. Sure. Let's talk about depreciation for a little bit. Yeah. Um, when it comes to depreciation, I've heard a few different things, you know, the term cost segregation. I'm not sure if this is the same with commercial or yes. residential. So cost segregation, I believe you need to be classified as a real estate professional in order to take that. And if you're not, is it accurate? You just basically have to depreciate over 27 and a half years. Is that how it works? Or yeah. how do young entrepreneurs maximize these tax benefits? Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways. Um, the cost segregation study is probably the best way to kind of go into doing a deal like that. You can also just depreciate a building that's freestanding you know, as is, but the best way you're going to do it is from a cost segregation study. Um, like we, for example, our sister office out in Tampa and Miami, they bought a building on December 30th. It was a 500,000 foot, like multi-tenant, small Bay industrial flex operation. And I think they acquired it for about $35 million, but the building was built in like the mid seventies. Right. And they were able to get a $10 million depreciation in one day of ownership without Sheesh. doing the cost segregation study before year end. And um, they were able to give that away to their investors. So I know their investors aren't all real estate professionals, so I don't necessarily agree with that one. So anybody, you as a passive investor, can take advantage of that depreciation because remember, technically you're an owner of that building, you know, and you get that benefit. Um, but yeah, I think... It's just really the cost segregation studies and just like the life value of the asset and how fast you want to write it down. Because remember, when you like write an asset down really fast, like sometimes you can't like recapture that. Or when you sell, you have a depreciation recapture where you have to forego that depreciation you captured on your taxes. And that's like what we've been trying to figure out is we've been identifying these things called opportunity zones and that piece of land that I just closed on this morning. Um, that will be an opportunity zone development where we take your money, you take a capital gain event, like say you made a hundred grand on a deal, you invested in our opportunity zone investment. We hold that money for 10 years. You get no depreciation recapture. So everything you wrote down doesn't catch up with you when you sell. And then you don't pay any capital gains tax either. So it's the exit out of the 1031. After Sign me 10 up. Years. Yeah, if you want, I do. By all means, it's the, it's the deals that I am targeting most right now. And that's how I'm hedging is because these are safer, long-term holds with high tax incentives. So instead of, you know, 15% return, whatever your tax basis and, you know, depreciation you acquire through the investment and, you know, however big your capital gain is from your tax basis can turn 15% to a 30% gain real quick. Mm. Why do you think most people choose real estate as their investment vehicle. You know, you obviously have the depreciation, you have the cash flow. Based on your experience with your clients and investors, is there a specific reason why so many people choose real estate? Is the fact that it's a real property, it's a real hard asset, or are there other reasons that you think? I think it's really hard to screw up. If you're a real professional, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's a hard business, but it's predictable. You know, like, for example, you know, why do home prices go up? because of supply and demand. So it's kind of very easy for people to understand like, all right, let's take Las Vegas, for example. People are coming here every single year. Well, we're not building for the amount of people that are coming in here. So property values are gonna go up. 
and it's a simple like econ 101 for people to understand if there's a demand for the product but there's not enough of the product then the price of that product is going to go up and also like we were just talking about with the las vegas strip like that land is really expensive what you can do with that land in that location like being on las vegas boulevard on the strip versus being one street over is a drastic value change and that location means everything same thing with coastal california real estate you know, those properties will forever go up unless there's a catastrophic event because there's only so much of it and the demand out out exceeds the supply. Totally. It's a good point. Do you think, because, you know, as anyone living in Las Vegas understands, you have the strip and then you have the outskirts of the strip too, which is a completely different situation, very low, uh, low quality, low tenants, low property value, et cetera. Do you foresee, and I know you mentioned opportunity zones, so maybe this all ties in. Do you foresee as Vegas continues to develop that that real estate that is pretty low quality C-class buildings will eventually start to be redeveloped and recreated? Yes, I do see that. Um, You know, stuff that's junk today, you know, what's on that land today might be a small industrial warehouse or it might be a home. You know, but because of the zoning and because of the desirability of that location, instead of one home, I can do four townhomes or a fourplex and make economic sense of it because of the rents I get for where the land cost is. So what you'll see in some cases that maybe it costs, I'm just using simple math, maybe it costs you a hundred grand to build the house. And that's like the value of like that of building that house. But the land underneath that house is worth two hundred thousand dollars. So somebody doesn't care about your home. Like, all right, the home's great. I'm tearing it down and I'm building an apartment project Mm. or I needed a part of a land assemblage, you know, but I truly see that because what people don't understand about Vegas is we're in a theoretical landlock with the Bureau of Land Management commonly referred to in its acronym BLM, you know, so we are in a theoretical land constricted supply and you're going to see it go vertical um, out here. So yeah, I really do see that, um, as more people have a desire for Las Vegas, as we know, we've gotten the golden Knights, you know, the Raiders, you know, more industrial on the outskirts, you're going to have more density on like the inner circle of the city and people are going to, you know, have less of a footprint. I mean, look at the evolution of some of these famous urban metros, like New York city, you know, and in Manhattan, like where people literally live in a shoebox and pay five grand a month for it. You know, or you live in San Francisco and it's a 1920s or 30s buildings, what I call a shithole, and people are paying three grand a month. And you're like, you have a radiator, whereas like I'm in Las Vegas. uh, Yeah, it might be 110 degrees for a week in the summer, but I have HVAC everywhere I go. Like in a lot of these other places, there's no AC. You know, there's not the amenities. It's like a theoretical, like I have to be there because there's value of being there with the network and opportunities for employment. And which I think like Vegas will exceed. The only thing that concerns me about Vegas is our education pipeline. UNLV is not like we need to amp it up. You know, we need more white collar opportunities uh, than blue collar things. And then we got to get rid of the golden handcuff theory out here where you can be a monkey and uh, be a bartender making 200 grand. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's, let's talk about the, uh, the industry for a little bit, because funny enough, my girlfriend works in the industry at Tao Beach Club and, yep. you know, makes, makes around that in yeah, a, in a yep. summer. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, which, which, is, which is awesome. So you think that is a uh, negative in terms of the overall potential attractiveness to the city? Yeah, I think for, I think, well, 
how, how do I answer that question? I, I'll answer that question in the way that your girlfriend's probably very smart. You probably, she took a true, a career trajectory where she saw the dollars today versus the long-term like wealth opportunity by maybe getting another education. I don't know if your girlfriend has a college degree or anything. And, but I think a lot of people, you know, don't go and get the higher education because they don't, they know that they want to spend time with their family here because they're born and raised in Las Vegas. And they see with, you know, minimal effort by, by just by hard work mm -hmm. and grit and showing up and putting in the hours, they can make some really good money. And I think you lose on a certain level of talent that instead of that person, you know, mixing drinks for a living, they could have got a real estate degree. They could have gotten, you know, a doctor degree or any of these things that's going to be a hindrance on us. Like for us in Las Vegas, in Clark County, we for every medical professional that comes into the market, we lose about six a year. Mm. So like we don't have the inflow versus the outflow of medical professionals to, you know, sustain that growth over the long term. So I, we need more education and we're doing it, but it's not a place like Phoenix where they produce – I want to say like 80,000 undergraduates a year into their market. So what does that mean? If I'm an employer, like, you know, and I'm looking for class B entry level employer education, I'm going to go to a place like Phoenix because I got ASU, Grand Canyon State University, you know, University of Arizona, Tucson, uh, University of Phoenix, and I'm getting this education pool. And I think that's what's really restricting Vegas from that next level of high rise development, vertical development, high density you know, value opportunities for employment is not having that educational pipeline for businesses to feed after. And you hear it even on the strip. People can't even find people as bussers and servers, you know, and bartenders now because of COVID and they found something else to do. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's very accurate. You know, you definitely feel that hustler energy in Vegas, which is part of the reason I like being here. It yeah, feels like, same. you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurship. There's a lot of things going on where it's more of a performance-based hospitality yep. um, city, which is awesome. You feed off that energy, but it is a very good point how, you know, because of the access to high-paying careers that don't have much longevity long-term, um, there could be some challenges because it's taking a lot of the talent. Super interesting. Uh, Andrew, let's dig into you a little bit, man. Um, what fires you up, bro? Like what, when, whenever I meet someone that is young, getting after it, extremely focused, like, you know, extremely professional, it always interests me why they do what they do and like what your vision is for what you're trying to accomplish. Because at least for me, I know that my reason for why I do what I do has evolved as the better I gotten at what I do. And as my career has progressed, so I'm curious, man, what's your vision look like? What's your end game when it comes to real estate? Uh, end game is I want to build a high rise. Yeah, yeah. In Vegas to, or yeah, just in Vegas? Yeah, by the time I'm 50. And I'm 27, so I got 23 years to do it. Um, I'm not going to do that by sitting on my butt. And I think, you know, that's something I've really wanted to do. And it's not going to come easy. It's going to take a lot of time. But I love the idea of creating. I think just like even looking at a piece of dirt, seeing what very few people see can go on that dirt, you know, creating and putting a business plan together. Like, okay, cool. Like I'm looking for dirt. Well, what am I looking for? I was like, Oh, what's that? Is that available? Okay. What can I do with that? 
Um, okay, I can put a warehouse there. Okay, how much is it going to cost me to do the warehouse? Call that contractor. Um, okay, what can I lease that for? Okay, call that like leasing broker. What will it sell for? Call that sales broker. Okay, how am I going to even do this? Got to get the engineers, got to get the architects. Okay, well, who am I going to do this with? Okay, who are my partners? I'm going to get that guy, this guy, this guy, and I want to work with that guy. And okay, where's, where's, where's the debt going to come from? It's going to come from that bank or this bank or this institution. How am I going to get the equity? I got to call 100 Stevens or can I just go to an institution out of New York and get the single check and go on a road show? Okay, cool. Where's my property manager? Uh, what's my lifelong business plan? Like, just love the game. There's so many. It's so fun. Oh, I love the game. It's, it's my favorite. And like seeing where all these different pieces go and being able to profit and make money off of it is awesome. And I love touching it. I love being able to touch it and walk by it, drive by it, you know, think about it and read. And it, it keeps me up at night. And so for me, what drives me is the creation of it because it's so many people. It's, it's a form of a science and an art, right? It's all about a number. It's all about numbers, I should say. And it's all about creating, you know, what's going to last right? Because anybody can create something that's going to last and make money for a couple of years, i.e. crypto, right? You know, the pump and dump. But what is it like to actually change a community? What's that community lacking? Are they lacking employment? Okay, well, a warehouse would go great here, and this can provide employment to the surrounding community. Um, there's not enough food to eat here. There's not enough, like, good, like, national chain restaurants. Okay, how can I do that? Like, all right, let's build a retail center right here and, you know, get a Starbucks, McDonald's, and a gas station so people can get fuel or, or you know, build a school or, you know, and where it's like, hey, there's nowhere to work. All right, I'm going to build an office building here. This would work here, and people can work out of there, or a gym, or, you know, a casino. It doesn't matter. You know, or a home community. You know, there's an opportunity to build homes where people can, you know, build their lives and impact the community around them, right? Like, you you bought this home that we're kind of in, and, you know, you say, hey, this is where we're at, and I, I got to drive here to there, and this is why I chose to live here, and I make sacrifices and gains for, you know, what I'm willing to afford and spend, and where I want to be in proximity to the things I enjoy and love and understanding what goes into that planning. Like, I love it. It's really like, I love reading about it. I love looking at other cities. Um, I love talking money. I think the other thing is making money with people you love and want to be around and making those relationships and celebrating those wins, but also being in the trenches with people. You know, when a deal goes bad, like, do I want you in my corner? Are you in my foxhole? Are you in my foxhole? Are we going to grind this out and figure this out? Like, I've gone through that recently. And I realized, no, I want to be with that person. That, that person means a lot to me. And so it's not just about money. It's about creating. It's about bonding. And it's about family. And just, like, leaving something, like, when you die. You know, like, I, I want to have kids one day and get married and do all that. But, you know, I want to leave something that's going to outlast me. And high-rises are one way to do that, you know, Creating community is another way to do that. That's powerful, man. So high rise, big vision, big goal. What does that look like? Is that is that a dollar amount you need? Is that a, a, a real estate portfolio? Like what what does it actually look like to build up to that? Is it just simply funds? No. There's a lot that's together. Oh, that's that. one of the most complicated developments um, on the planet. Why are there not more high rises in Vegas? When you look at like Miami and other places that it feels like every apartment or condo, they're high rises where I feel like out here we only have like one or two. Because we're young. Because I can pay to have a house instead of a condo. A house is cheaper than a condo and more people want space. You know, the, the urban living environment isn't there yet here. We've done it. We've done several of them. 
you know, and they're occupied, but, you know, condos are the first to go down and the last to come back up. So there's a high risk and it takes a lot of time to plan them. And there's a lot of construction risk as well. You know, if you're doing for rent versus for sale, for sale, you, you can have a lot of construction defect risk. There's a lot of contractors that won't touch them. And, you know, it tells, takes a certain sophistication in the contracting world to be able to construct a high rise. Um, it takes a lot of development experience. Like I can do a hundred shopping centers and, you know, a hundred warehouses and office buildings or whatever and develop them from the ground up. Still, somebody might not give me money to do a high rise because it's that complex of a structural development uh, to deliver and, to, and also just to finance. You know, I've seen some high rises that like I got pitched one and it's over in Henderson and they came to me and they said, hey, you know, would you invest? And I was like, your numbers are too low. And they're like, no, they aren't. And I was like, well, your project's 600 or 650 million. I was like, it's going to end up being 900. I was like, you're undershooting the market. Contingency is not high enough. Your delivery timeline's too quick. You're not giving yourself enough time. What happens? It's the paper. It's a $950 million project and they're a year behind. So like... I'm not here to lose people's money, man. I'm here to make people's money, and that's like all-star league. Like, there's only so many companies in the world that do that well, and one of them is like related, the related group uh, based out of Miami. And even then, they screw up. They're they're a multi-billion-dollar developer. They bought land out here, you know, pre-global financial crisis, took a massive loss on it, and haven't come back into the market since. And I'm like, wow, dude, if that guy's like. It's like LeBron James walking away from basketball. And then that's like how com- like hard it is. It's tough, and man. So, but, dude, to be able to change the skyline or do something like that, I mean, it's pretty awesome. Big time. <laughs> is it going to be called Dunn Towers? No, God, no, please. I never want to pull like a Trump move <laughs> or like a thing on there um, because it's not about Dunn or Andrew Dunn or like me as a person. Um, it's about a team. You're not going to do that alone. You do that with a team. And that takes years and years and years of relationships to be able to deliver something like that successfully. So that's, again, what the last piece of advice I give to any, like, real estate person or somebody want to get in real estate. If you think you're going to do it alone, great. You only get so far. You need people to be successful in this business. It's more of a people business than a numbers business. I love that, man. I agree. You know, what's the the ancient proverb? If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. You know, whenever people talk about, oh, I'm a self-made millionaire, self-made multimillionaire, billionaire, BS. You know, you've had people along the way that have supported you and that have helped you or else you wouldn't be the person or in the situation you are today. So my question for you, because this relates to my business, your business, really any business, is how do you attract and find good people? Uh, You have to have integrity and values within yourself and you have to stick true to yourself and not just jeopardize you for some janky opportunity. Really, if you're going to put your name behind something, do your due diligence, take your time. And, you know, you'll know by doing those things how, like, you'll you'll perceive people in a certain light, right? I also, you know, I my relationship with faith, you know, I grew up Catholic, has ebbed and flowed over my life. But as I've gotten more back to faith and I've seen, you know, as we have a mutual, like, a uh, friend in the Jewish community that connected us, like seeing how those people operate and like seeing on a faith-based operation and having those values, I think is also beneficial. So having faith, sticking to who you are, knowing who you are and just being a good person and, you know, being a servant to others, 
I think is a very valuable uh, way to attract that type of person to help build a good community. Mm, I agree, man. If there was one or two attributes or skills or philosophies that have helped you in your real estate journey of five years, help you become the professional and more importantly, person you are today, what would those things be? Um, I have a life mantra. It was given to me by my father. Um, famous quote, past is history, present is a present, tomorrow is a mystery. You know, you got to learn from the past. It is history, whatever, move on from it, from your mistakes or whatever. And then also, you know, present is present. Enjoy today, be in the now. You have no idea where tomorrow is going, so just get up and do your best. Um, the other thing is you make a bad decision, make a good decision. Don't try to justify that bad decision and change that bad decision. Move on. Say you screwed up. I am the king of, yeah, I screwed up. Yeah, nope, mm, I botched that one. And I, I think why people like me is I could take a lick and keep on ticking. Mm. Ownership mentality, man, it's huge. In a world full of victims and victimhood, and it's so ingrained in our society, when people can just own up their mistakes, it, it just creates that level of trust and connection with other people because we're all human yeah. at the end of the day, and everyone messes up more times than they succeed, but for some reason, people have such a hard time swallowing their pride and allowing themselves to be vulnerable in that decision. Totally agree. One last thing I will say, do not ever think you know everything and always try to be the dumbest person in the you know, just do not be a know-it-all. Love it, brother. Yeah. Andrew, you've been you've been a beast, bro. High level, high level real estate discussion. My last question for you, because I like seeing people's answer to this, is do you believe that you need to be successful or have money? And they may not be the same thing to you, but do you think you need to be successful or have money in order to be happy? Yes, I do. Um, I think it goes back to what is your de definition of success, right? Um I wake up, I'm healthy, I'm not on the street, um, I can go and afford and do things that other people most of the time can't around the world, and they allow me to do things like walk on airplanes, skydive, do triathlons, travel around the world, and garnish perspective. So I do think that in order to be happy in life, you do have to be successful, but first you have to answer the, to yourself, what, is it, what does success mean to me? What is success to you? Uh, success to me is waking up and being able to choose what I want to do that day. Mm. And, you know, being satisfied with that choice. Power. That's, that's, that's a very open-ended description. That's how I like to do it. And it's what's worked for me. It's powerful, man. Bro, thank you so much. Where can uh, the viewers and listeners find you if they have yeah. any real estate stuff for you? Uh, real estate stuff, you can go to vacdevelopment.com. Uh, you could shoot me a, an email at Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W, at BACdevelopment.com. Um, I'm on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, uh, at the tag for at Andrew M, as in Michael Dunn, D-U-N-N, -N underscore. Um, shoot me a DM, shoot me a follow, shoot me an email, and um, we can connect. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much, man. It was no, a pleasure. Dude, seriously, thank you so much. Love being on here. It was a great talk. Really Dropping bars. It. Yeah. Guys, we'll talk to you next week. Till next time. Peace.